Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. We are still in Luke's Gospel, but we're going to be doing a little series running up to Christmas where we are looking at right at the beginning of Luke's Gospel and the account around Jesus's birth. So we this week we are looking at Luke chapter 1 verses 5 to 25 and then 57 to 80. So our focus today is on the announcement of John the Baptist's birth and then Zachariah's song. Um, so we next week then we will look about um, the announcement of Jesus's birth and Mary's song. So, um, but we would encourage you to read the whole of Luke 1 because it's really helpful to see the parallels and the way that Luke's intentionally split up the John story um, by putting in the announcement of Jesus's birth in the middle. So we'll look at that a little bit more next week, but just to say we are big fans of reading the whole of the Bible. <laughs> um, so I am joined by... Um... <laughs> I'm joined by Helen and some African birds in her front yard. And I'm joined by Juliet. And Mary's around, but her internet is dodgy. So if we get to hear Mary's voice, that will be a special bonus. Okay, let me just talk us through the story so far, ladies. John the Baptist's birth is announced. So um, Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth are godly people who Zachariah is in the temple as a priest. He's a country priest and he meets an angel who tells him that his wife's going to have a baby. There's some level of doubt from Zachariah about that. And so Zachariah doesn't speak for the next um, nine months. Um, when he leaves the temple, people can see that something's happened. And he tells Elizabeth, who obviously is really excited to fall pregnant. Um, then we come back to the story at the point at which um, John is born and Zachariah and Elizabeth say that he's going to be called John because what's, that's what the angel has told them and at that point Zachariah can speak again and everybody is surprised that he's not got the name of his father and then um, there's a prophecy that the section ends with where Zachariah um, praises the Lord for what he's done. So that's just an overview of the section, ladies. I guess my first question is, in verses five to seven at the beginning, what do we learn about Zachariah and Elizabeth? So we learn that Zachariah is of the division of Abijah and that um, Elizabeth is a daughter of Aaron uh, and that they are married, that they are righteous before God, that they're, work they're walking blamelessly. Um, but also that they had no children and that they were old. So we learned quite a lot about their lives all in one fell swoop. Yeah, I'm just aware it might be helpful for us to do a little bit of context here about what sort of, where are we in the, let's think about the big salvation story. And I'm I'm really aware in this passage, there's, there's two different things we can look at. One is the detail of the way God deals with Zachariah and Elizabeth. And there's a lot there for us to see and learn. But also I want us to take a step back as well and look at the whole sweep of salvation history and how significant this is. Juliet, can you just give us a little bit of a indicator about why this is such a big deal and where we are in the, the whole of the Bible story? So there's been a silence in the history of, um, in the biblical history of about 400 years where 
they haven't had any more profits. Um, there haven't been any um, special, yeah, God hasn't really spoken in that very tangible way to the people of God. Um, so, but here is, we hear about uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth still being righteous before God and walking in his commandments and faithfully serving him. Great. Thanks, Juliet. So yeah, there. that's even more remarkable, isn't it? When you realise that there's been no word from God for such a long time. And so the fact that they're still blameless and righteous before him is a real sign of the deep faith that they hold. Um, so Zachariah is a priest and he goes into the temple at this point to fulfil some job of the priest. Can anybody shed any light on what that was, what he was doing, why that was important? At this time in history, there are potentially around um, 20,000 priests and they were split into these 24 divisions, which um, like the division of Abijah mentioned here or Abijah. At each time, a lot will be drawn and only three priests will be selected to perform duties within the temple. And so sometimes... I was reading that it was interesting that sometimes you'd in the lifetime of a priest, you'd only been drawn once to do this job. So it's especially significant that this is his once in a lifetime um, yeah, opportunity to enter the temple and to serve in the um to serve in this way, to light the incense and to pray for the people. Yeah, because the 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 um the incense role was by far the most privileged duty of the priests because you went the deepest and closest to God, uh, in the deepest into the temple, closest to God. And so this was probably the biggest event of Zachariah's life so far. And it was um, just when it says, you know, the lot fell on him, it just made me think of all those other times in the Bible that we've seen the lot, you know, fall on people uh and it's just so great to see how god works in all things you know the lot didn't happen to fall on zachariah god intended it to fall on him at that moment in order to lead him to this announcement about john's uh birth yeah that's great so he gets into this inner sanctum of the temple and there's an angel there to greet him um, and the Bible's really clear that he's very fearful. What What do you think that's about? Why do you think he's fearful? I like Sally Lloyd-Jones's descriptions of angels as warriors of light. And I think, because it's interesting, every pretty much every time someone meets an angel in the Bible, they're terrified. So I think they just must be terrifying. Like, especially as uh, Zechariah was just in there to have this special, holy, quiet moment with God. And then he looks up and there's this warrior of light staring at him. I would, I think anyone would have been terrified. That's true. Go on, Helen. You know, when you're standing in front of a figure like that, I think you can't help but notice their power and magnificence and therefore your own um, weakness and um, inadequacy. And, you know, we've just been told that Zachariah is righteous in the sight of the Lord um, righteous before God, and they're walking blamelessly. He's walking blamelessly, and yet he is terrified, recognizing his inadequacy and his powerlessness before an angel, not even before his God. 
I just found that really striking. And I thought Zachariah must have had a very right view of himself. Yeah, the comparison would be really stark, wouldn't it, for him? Um, So the angel goes on then to describe something about what's going to happen and specifically about the purpose of John coming into the world. So looking at specifically at verses 13 to 17, what do we learn about John's ministry? Well, he's going to be set apart, isn't he? Um, We see that right from the get-go. He so he's going to be a joy and a delight, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Then he's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's born. It's kind of got echoes of this Nazarite vow, like thinking kind of Samson era and all of that, Um, kind of consecrated to God. Um, to fulfill a role. Um, There's also echoes of Elijah as well. So we got in verse 17, he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, kind of pointing backwards to Elijah's role of sort of turning many to God and calling people to repentance. So again, this child, when he grows up, uh, is set apart to call many to repentance, to turn many to God and to make ready um, the people for their coming king. Yeah, it's amazing the repetition because he says several times this word turn, turning the children of Israel to the Lord and turning the hearts of the obedient, uh, turning the hearts of the disobedient. And, And I feel like that gets repeated later on as well, where people he's using this turning to God through repentance and faith. And those words actually that he uses um, at the end, verse 17, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, those are actually, so the very end of the Old Testament, it's from Malachi. Um, So this was kind of the last kind of words from God 400 years before. I know, I know, I'm the new Hermione. I feel really insulted that you're even going to try. <laughs> Wowzers. Don't worry. I can be like a Neville. I'll be Neville, rising up with... Try hard. I'm trying to try hard. Um, in the end, though, he slays Voldemort. Hero. Think about it. Anyway. <laughs> um yeah, what's Hermione doing? Anyway. <laughs> I heard a beautiful illustration this morning where a preacher was talking about, you know, the very famous Christmas passage about the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And he was talking about how, uh, the, you know, the, the the foretelling of John's birth is almost like the, the dawn is just starting to break. Like there's a little bit of orange on the horizon and Jesus is going to be the light that's going to, the sun's going to shine again over Israel. But all this passage is just like the beginning of a little bit of orange, a glow, just that's preparing the way for the sun to rise. And I was like, oh, that's such a beautiful picture, isn't it, of what's going on here and that darkness that they've lived under for 400 years. And there's glimmers of light on the horizon. Mm-hmm. And actually that harking back to Malachi I would say chapter three and four is actually really important for understanding why the angel says what he says. Because Malachi three, he the beginning of Malachi three says, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And that 
echo, has echoes of various people say, I think is it John says, you know, Para make way for the Lord. I can't remember where it happens. The whole of Malachi 3 and 4 is about how the message is coming and how he's promising to send this and Elijah, he's going to turn the hearts of everyone. And it's to in and the purpose of it is to secure the proper worship and sort of prevent or forestall the judgment of God. Like that's the whole purpose of why um, all of this is going to happen. And and that's talked about Malachi 3 and 4. So with all of this coming now, at the beginning of Luke, you're just, like Jill said, you're just beginning to see, oh, okay, now I see God has promised this. And I can see in the things that the angel's saying, the things that Zechariah's saying, how this is pointing towards what God has promised to do 400 years before. Yeah, that's good. So Zachariah here, though, um, quite starkly doesn't quite believe what the angel says. What are the consequences of Zachariah's unbelief for good and for bad? So he says, how will I know this? And often when this is said, the person is asking for a sign and he gets a sign in response. He gets a sign when he's not able to speak. And I, th I think we get a taste that he's actually not able to hear as well. If we look, jump forward to um, verses 62 and 63, because people are signing to him. And this is like a bit of a rebuke, but it's also um, very gracious. And the promise is that's been given to him is still affirmed and it will still take place. Yeah, because the angel Gabriel seems a little offended, doesn't he? Because he's straight away like, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. So you can kind of imagine that, him, you know, you've got Elijah saying how I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. And it's kind of his position doesn't matter though does it because it's Gabriel who's telling him what's going to happen which means that it's from God so like yeah I kind of find echoes of that in my own life like oh but I'm this and it's all through the bible isn't it like oh but I'm this and it's like yeah but I'm this God is like I am this and that's what matters yeah and I was so encouraged I'd not really seen before that whole the thing like Juliet said that the sign at some level is a punishment, um, but also is such a blessing because for that whole nine months when he can't speak, that's mm. such an assurance to his heart, isn't it? That it was God and God has done this silencing of him as a sign of the truth of what is coming. And I just thought that's so true so often in our lives, isn't it? That the hard things are often also the blessings. Zachariah probably learned more about his own heart and about God in that nine months than he had in the entirety of the rest of his life. <laughs> you know, when we're suffering and we're struggling and we can't do the things we want to do, that's often when our true hearts are revealed, isn't it? I just thought it must have been some way such a refining time for Zachariah. So at the end of this passage then, in verses 24 and 25, we hear that Elizabeth conceives and keeps herself hidden for five months. And then we're going to, and what a blessing that is for her, because I guess, as we know, barrenness was such a curse at that time. And so actually God's been so kind to her just as an individual woman, hasn't he, in her community, 
but also he's doing this amazing big thing for his salvation. And yeah, I just think this, these passages are so good at, at us seeing God's kindness in their individual lives, whilst also he's accomplishing massive big things um, that move the salvation of the world along. So if we look then at the second section, um, what different reactions do we see here to John's birth? This is verse 57 onwards. So as the angel has predicted, um, there is great joy. So the neighbours and relatives hear that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. That's verse 58. Um, and there's also slight confusion because it would have been traditional, obviously, to name the baby after Zechariah, but Zechariah still can't speak at this point. Um, so he writes down, you know, his name will be John, and uh, is John. Yeah, so there's kind of that side of it, this kind of, there's already expectation on this child. Um, and then when um, when Zechariah's mouth gets unstopped and he speaks praising God, there's this kind of wonder in verse 66, what is this, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So it's kind of this rejoicing and this expectation. The rejoicing actually really reminded me of the end of the book of Ruth when everyone celebrates with Naomi about the birth of Obed. Um, and uh, back in verse 25, when Elizabeth talks about um, her shame and her, her reproach being taken away, she's echoing the same words as Rachel back in Genesis when she found out that she was pregnant with Joseph after a period of barrenness. Um, and, you know, these are women, so Ruth and Rachel were women who struggled with barrenness, but then were chosen by God to help continue Israel's line or play a role in the continuation of Israel's line and the fulfillment of God's promises. And so this bit here, um, Elizabeth, where John is born, is echo that how God is using Elizabeth to do the same. It's interesting as well, isn't it? Can you see just nestled away in verse 65, it also says fear came on all their neighbours. Mm -hmm. What do you think that's about? Yeah, it seems to echo the when um, Zechariah and also when Mary gets, uh, when they see the angel, they have the same fear. And it's a fear of God being at work in this. So they're, they're, they're almost they know that something from above has happened to mean that Zechariah is able to speak again. And so, yeah, that's, I feel like that's what's going on. Yeah. And in this, in these days, extraordinary births tend to point towards extraordinary lives, don't they? Um, and so, yeah, I think it's that fear of, oh my goodness, what is this person going to be like? How are they going to be? What does this mean for all of us? Um, I don't know whether it was a fear as in like a scary fear or whether it was more like an awe and reverent, you know, like the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom type fear. Just this awe of what God is doing. Yeah. And I guess they've, they've, the rest of the neighborhood are, are haven't been living necessarily in the fear of the Lord, have they? And suddenly, they, they in a way, I could relate to that. I prefer what I know to this scary thing that I can't predict and I can't control. Um, yeah. So mm -hmm. then Zachariah um, prophesies. 
and is filled with the Holy Spirit and speaks God's truth. And a helpful thing I read about this prophecy, it's almost like this is the interpretation. And so it's not like we're free to interpret this birth any way we want. And as these people wander off into the hill country and think, what can this mean? It's like God's really kind in giving this prophecy to Zechariah, which is an interpretation of this birth and an explanation of what it's for. So what do we see in this prophecy that explains about John's ministry and John's birth? I find it interesting that actually the first um, eight verses of it are actually about Jesus. And then it kind of moves on to say, and, you know, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, which I think is indicative of John's ministry, because really his very ministry will be pointing away from himself towards the Christ. Um, So I think it kind of, you know, the first uh, seven verses of it is just talking about what Jesus is going to be. So he's raised up a horn of salvation for us, show mercy on our ancestors. So it's kind of pulling on the Old Testament and all the things promised there. Um, you know, the oath he swore to our father Abraham uh, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. And then it talks about John's role in that from kind of verse 76 onwards. Um, so yeah I think we see that later in John's life don't we like I must become lesser so he must become greater and that's like right from his birth that's the thing isn't it this is John is a a way pointer but he's not the way maker we'll do this more next week but something I read was saying you know everything about John's birth is secondary to Jesus's birth so Jesus was born to a virgin John was born to a barren couple. You know, there's just so many little things where we see in G- Jesus is the fulfillment and Jesus is the main event. And John is a pre-runner, isn't he? And a pointer to Jesus. And yeah, like, I agree, Mary. We see that all through this prophecy, don't we? Yeah. And it's very clear, isn't he? He's, you know, like Mary said, the first part is about Jesus. And then in verse 77, he says, um, you will go before the Lord, 76, sorry, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. He, John is the source of knowledge of salvation, not the source of salvation. And that's very clear in this, in Zachariah's prophecy here, isn't it? And like in verse 79, it says to shine on those living in darkness, which I think Helen was pointing to earlier, like a light is is shining in the darkness um, it's the very, very beginning of this amazing rescue plan. Yeah, that's great. Anything then, um, if we zoom in now, so that's the big thing that God's doing. Anything that particularly struck you ladies in this passage from God's interactions with Zachariah and Elizabeth? What um, what did you find personally helpful? So I just thought it was incredible that from when... Zechariah was silenced and couldn't speak that this song is the first thing that came out of his mouth. And it's such a beautiful release and praise to God. And you just think during that time he couldn't hear and he couldn't speak, but he could read the scriptures or and even remember what he's memorized before. And you can see that in this song or in this um prophecy that he's quoting so again he's quoting from Malachi from Isaiah and you just think 
he must have been reading through those passages just in anticipation that something was going to happen. And it's a challenge as well, like when we have um, periods of um, suffering or trouble, whether this is what comes out when we are uh, released from that suffering. Yeah, for me, I think it was the the depth of the thankfulness that really struck me um, about Zechariah's prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Because, you know, that the whole of Israel has been waiting for this redemption to come for such a long time. And Zechariah's reaction isn't, oh, well, at last. It's just seriously, seriously deep thankfulness. And I just thought, I want to live my life from a position of thankfulness because we are able to come from seeing redemption already occur. You know, we've seen Jesus do his work, not only in the Bible, but also in our own lives. And I think that probably I, yeah, I don't think that my thankfulness is deep enough. So that's what was really challenging for me, thinking about how can I live, how can I firstly appreciate how thankful I should be and then live my life in light of that. I think it's really interesting that his, Zachariah's tongue is uh, set free, it says in verse 64, immediately after he says his name is John, um, which makes me think that what he's saying, like his name is John, it's almost like an act of faith for him um to you know having you know in, in some people's eyes having failed the first time when he didn't trust what god was saying to him um now after all these months of waiting he opens his mouth with words of faith because that's what the angel <clears throat> that's what the angel has told him um and he believes it like he easily could have said that the baby should be called Zechariah because that was the normal thing in those days but it's kind of an act of faith of him to say, no, his name is John. That's what God has told me. Um, and at that moment, his mouth is set free. And I love that kind of second chance that God gives him to act faithfully. Um, and then as soon as his tongue is unloosed, he just says this beautiful stuff about God. So like Juliet said, he, yeah, it's just such an outpouring of, yeah, beautiful worship. Because um, the name Zechariah, I don't know who said this beginning because I missed it but means the name Zechariah means Yahweh remembers so I just think like their prayers they must have prayed for so long for a baby especially a baby boy because in those days um as in many parts of the world still now it's really important to have a male heir and they just must have felt so forgotten and so sad um over all those years and maybe even stopped praying for it as they got older um, and yet when he goes into that temple um, and is with God, it's like this beautiful picture of God remembers, like Zechariah in the temple offering incense. And God's like, I've not forgotten you. Here, have this special baby who's going to do this really special thing. Yeah, thanks, ladies. That's great. Um, see you all next week. Lovely to be with you. And um, we'll look at Jesus next week.